listening to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here are your hosts, Tip Top Tim Fitch and Brendan Morahan. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the Construction Big Breakfast, brought to you by Invent. I'm Tim Fitch, and here's my co-host, Brendan Morahan. The Construction Big Breakfast will be regularly uh, broadcast and we're going to be talking about hot topics in construction, uh, particularly news items. We will be having some special guests here at Invent World HQ in Bloomsbury and we'll also be introducing you to some of our colleagues who may be uh, helping us uh, host this podcast. So, uh, why the Construction Big Breakfast? Well, as we all know, and Brendan and I certainly do over the past 30 to 40 years, that construction runs on a big breakfast. And construction folk have used big breakfasts as fuel for many years. And when we started our consultancy, we started using big breakfasts as a means of networking. So, we look forward to you regularly joining us for a big breakfast here at the Construction Big Breakfast podcast. So why is construction so important to us at Invent? Well, as Tim alluded, Tim and I have been around this place for a long time now, and indeed our parents were also involved in the construction sector, so it's, it's in our blood. And all of the people that have come to join us over the years, be the most customers, suppliers, associates, or members of our own team, share that same passion for construction. But what is that passion really about? Because it's just bricks and mortar, isn't it? I think what is important for us at Invent is that actually construction is a bedrock of society. And we recognise that when we get this construction industry right, it's brilliant. But too often in the past, it's let ourselves down, it's let society down. And so as a consultancy business, we work very hard to work with those people in the industry who are sincere about improving this industry so that they get a, a good return on their investment and they make a contribution to the nation in which they reside. And that's important for us, not just in the UK, because we've brought that model into Ireland, also into Canada, and we're looking to expand beyond. And so we're really interested via this podcast to get experience from other people in the industry or outside of the industry to share in the debate so that we can actually achieve our vision of actually being at the core of a positive construction sector by creating value through construction. If you recall, it's interesting when you think back to how Invent came about. Um, I was obviously very interested in the whole strategy side of construction and businesses generally. You had been through your master's degree at UCL, you're obviously expert at selling, and we recognised there was a bit of a sweet spot between them both, didn't we? Yeah, I think, I mean, if I've learned a lesson in um, the last 10 years or so, is that real value in anything, you can usually find it if you can overlap two, yeah. two domains of knowledge or wisdom. Mm. And where they overlaps, you know, this is where our logo came from, the Venn diagram, is the sweet spot, which is the bit where the value is. And I think if you think about that in general, you 
about a lot of things I've learned in life. If you get good at one thing, I mean, my first subject was uh, engineering, and then you understand stuff about the construction industry, the way it's sort of structured, and then you learn something about marketing and sales, and where all those things overlap, I found uh, the pot of gold. You know, it was literally the end of the rainbow. And of course, we were speaking to people in the industry who were very interested in the projects and the operations side of things, and the business strategy, the business development was sort of done elsewhere. And I, I remember the conversations about how do we bring that all together, because construction businesses are generally project-based businesses, but they focus too much on the project and not about what type of projects. And also they responded to invitations to tender rather than actually getting knowledge about opportunities that were rising, developing their networks so they knew people. And suddenly it all started to, to thread together that the industry was acting in a dysfunctional way. And based on our decades of experience, we had an opportunity to try and draw them together. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the construct, you're right, construction is obviously about projects. Projects are exciting. Yeah. Uh, and people, to, to deliver projects successfully, you have to be enthusiastic. You know, a Mizog project director is bad news. On the other hand, you don't want enthusiasm for projects to necessarily uh, dictate what your business does. And uh, you see it now, you certainly saw it in the past, that bidding strategy, in particular bidding tactics, is often uh, determined by the most enthusiastic promoter particular opportunity rather than people taking a business decision mm. and uh, it doesn't matter whether you've got a small business or a big one that leads to bad decisions mm. which are manifest in the news every week so even now there's a big opportunity for people to take a so a more strategic view about what the business is doing and why it's doing it uh, getting a better foresight of what the opportunities really are for a particular business. One of the things I've learned, that we've learned together really, is that um, you can, as a business, influence your future much more than you might think. Because many of our, many of the people we speak to, many of our clients, uh, people in the industry, it's always someone else's problem about why they, aren't, they haven't got good opportunities or why they took on a project that's lost money or that they've got a dip in their turnover and they've had to let people go. And the number of times we hear people say, well, you know, if the opportunity is either there or it isn't. And what we know is that very few businesses know about all the opportunities if they do, they know about them too late in the, the sort of opportunity cycle. The first time you hear about an opportunity is when you see the pin notice or when the or if the tender drops through your email. It's usually too late, particularly if it's a client you don't know. It's almost certainly too late. And one of the, yeah, we we've learned how you can improve that with uh, some fairly simple techniques, but also putting the effort in much earlier in terms of your, or spending the money differently in your business. Well, I, th I think it's an interesting point you mentioned about the money side of things, because I think 
too many organisations in construction are undercapitalised and as a consequence they end up chasing the project to get a return instead of making sure they have a balance sheet that's strong, stable and that they can start to invest in the future and create the new opportunities that you refer to. Too often people are delivering the projects, getting a return on that and then chasing the next return instead of strategically saying how do we get the best possible return for our investment how do we get a competitive advantage? And it seems almost counterintuitive that we've got great people in our industry that are focused too far down the value chain. If we could get those people more interested in the strategy and the ownership model of those organisations, I think we could get so much uh, better return all the way through that tunnel. And not be competing against each other unnecessarily, identifying your own niche and actually focus on that and get a superior return for that and keep on investing in the future. Now, I mean, you're right, we agree with each other, that the industry, it chases volume when it shouldn't, and when times get a bit tough, uh, people diversify, and diversification always comes with risk. You hear big companies going for small projects, and smaller companies going for big projects, and you know that the likelihood of a disaster increases exponentially in those situations and for the most part I mean the you know recessions aren't you can't avoid them you just need to prepare for them and normally you know you and I know Brendan that the the most dangerous time to price uh, a project particularly for a tier one contractor is at the very depths of a recession because, of course, you're going to lock yourself into prices which won't be sustainable maybe in six or nine months' time from your supply chain. Mm. Of consequently, the best time to price a job is at the very height of a boom because you come down the other side of it, you can renegotiate the prices of your supply chain and earn a superior profit. So you get these bizarre counter-intuitive uh, profit swings with the tier ones which are just related to short-term changes in the market. But what we very rarely see is people anticipating the, the downturn and preparing for it, other than holding back some money to help buy their way through uh, tighter markets. Uh, and it's usually, you know, if, you, if that's your strategy, it, it's, it's a bit, unimaginative, I think. And, and I think that's the point, is that people in the industry are still too much reliant on anecdotes and historic cycles. Um, as we've discovered now working with some of our clients, there is a plethora of new data that actually can inform some of these decisions so that you are making better informed decisions than arguably leading the pack. You know, there's, there's a lot of indicators in the press already about the next recession, but everyone's waiting for it to happen rather than actually get being data-driven and understanding in your own niche, in your own sector, when it's going to impact you so that you can prepare for it properly. And prepare for it properly by getting partners around you rather than saying, I am going to get an advantage over someone else by holding it back and letting them not renegotiate instead of getting those partners together to create a new future. There's been a lot of talk about off-site manufacture, modern methods of construction, and yet it's not becoming endemic in the industry yet. And the, 
the problem is always put back at the customer and not enough demand. And there isn't enough debate about how we create a competent supply chain that actually can deliver that, that makes such a compelling case that actually customers will come. Yeah, I mean, I, I share your <coughs> frustrations, really. The, the, the off-site manufacturing businesses we've come across, uh, I'd say without exception that I've looked at, have been undercapitalized, mm. uh, unbelievably short-term view of the market as they see it, passive marketing, and average sort of sales um, effort and capability. And it's surprising to me, uh, I'm talking about almost every element of uh, construction, with the possible exception of component manufacturers, uh, how poor at marketing the industry is. I mean, it is unbelievably uh, poor. Uh, marketing is seen as the person in the corner who produces the nice brochure, which of course is an output uh, for marketing, but the strategic bit is often completely missing or ad hoc. And it, yeah, when, when we we meet business owners who are sort of blinking the, you know, into the, almost the daylight when we show them some of the things that you can do to uh, help you make better informed decisions about the medium term uh, so that you're better prepared for it so that whether it, things are going up or down that you can uh, get proper plans in place to reduce risk maximize the opportunity and give yourself more confidence about where your business is going mm. it's, it's astonishing it's a bit of a blind spot for the industry and I think it, it's, it's one of the um, ways of explaining some of the behaviours you see in the industry because you know, the number of times you see very senior leaders you know, essentially blaming the government for not having a clear enough view of what projects are going ahead and when, of course the latest ones I speak to, uh, but there's plenty of others. Whereas in most other industries you wouldn't be expecting the government to lead the way. I know the government spends a lot of money on construction, but you don't hear the health sector lobbying quite the way the construction sector does. Although the government must spend most of its, you know, it's the biggest industry in the world, it's the biggest business in the world, mm -hmm. uh, NHS. But construction expects the government to solve its problems, and my view is complete nonsense. Uh, entrepreneurs will solve the problems of construction. Uh, and that's the exciting thing, that it will construction will reform itself because there will be some disruptive entrance to the marketplace. Some of them are already there and they will emerge, I'm sure, over the next uh, few years. That's the way the industry is going to and that's what's been exciting for us because we're yeah. meeting people who share that view or at least aspire to that, to that vision. And I suppose that's why podcasts like this are so important because we've got to get a groundswell of, of opinion now because we've seen that there are enough people that are interested in, in a different future and a better future. But we've got to try and get all of those people aligned now to do something about it. 
Just trying to do it in your own backyard isn't enough. We've got to start getting people that are conversing together and getting business models and investment cases behind them. Because otherwise you just join another band of people that tried and failed and then have got something to complain about. So how do we actually get that movement together? Well, I think firstly he's talking about it. Yeah. And of course that's the, one of the motivations for having this uh, regular podcast. The that's my view. We should start talking about it properly. I mean, the, 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 I'm convinced that the, the large-scale Tier 1 model uh, is completely unsustainable now. Uh, all of the recent, you, you'll have seen over the past few weeks, uh, a number of businesses um, releasing their interim results, and they're all pretty lacklustre, and people are crowing about making 1.5% margin for this part of the cycle, but in reality we know that the, the margins in tier one contracting have been in decline for 70 years, and they're gonna continue because uh, the model doesn't work. You're taking on too much risk, uh, and you're not adding enough value. It isn't any more difficult than that. And some of the things around the patch are working against you now, the, the uh, legislation around paying your supply chain the fact that we've got very low interest rates means that cash-rich model doesn't produce the low-risk returns that it once did. Um, we don't. I don't know of a single business, a large-scale business in the UK, that makes good money for its uh, shareholders anymore. We know lots of specialist subcontractors, the tier twos, who are making great returns, but frankly, they're doing they're adding the value yeah. in their particular subsystem. They're adding the value. But if, as a tier one, the major tier ones, um, you're relying on contractual arbitrage uh, to turn a profit, I think those days were more than numbered. They're just gone. I mean, people are too sophisticated. There's not the leverage now. You can't get paid as early as you used to clients, you can't pay your supply chain late as much as you once could and the money you've got you can't make a return on. Um, and just the, the bit that adds the money of course, which is the systems integration, which is bringing all the sub, subsystems together, <laughs> the, the fact that you only get a contractor's margin or something which is really high in value add, but it's perhaps only 7% of the contract cost. Um, and all of the rest of it do the 80 to 85 percent, which is subcontracted. Um, why would you do that when you can't make a return on it? You just can't. So um, that model needs rethinking uh, for the at scale businesses. Now, conversely, we know plenty of tier ones at the smaller scale who can make uh, pretty good margins. But when you get under the hood and see how they do it. Uh, for people like Brendan, yeah, Brent, you, know, you and me, who uh, worked in very large contractors and are used to discipline and mm. proper systems and proper governance, it's horrifying. Yeah. But as entrepreneurs, they can make it work. But of course, it's their money, mm. um, and their their personal reputation and their family's money. And somehow that magic works, and you can still make pretty good uh, business. At that level, when you scale up, we don't really see people 
being able to do it, particularly if you get over three or four hundred million, it's very rare to see it. Not, not never, but very rare. So I think that's the motivation for us, isn't it? That we can see that there is a, a better world out there, but it's how do we get other people to, to come and join yep. us? And, you know, we've been very lucky to have some very enlightened clients over the years we've been working together. Um, I think it gives us the enthusiasm to keep going, doesn't it? Because you can see that it's, it's not dead. We've got a few years left in us. And uh, there are a lot of new entrants into the industry as well that has, has interested me. Certainly the fact that we are more global now, I think it's great because we start to learn from, from other countries. And I think that's why this is so important to get other people to join in the debate, to actually share that learning. And why don't we do something about this now? Rather than talking about it and moaning about it, I think there is a great opportunity for us to get together and create value through construction. Yeah, and I think in some later podcasts, we're going to talk about some of the stories that we've come across um, either from our own personal experience or things that we've come across with our clients. Obviously, we'll keep it anonymous where appropriate. But they'll be really instructive. So around how we've developed new services, how we've entered new markets, how what we found, it's like starting a consultancy business mm. from scratch and then transferring or transitioning to... Invent has a 100% success rate with R&D tax credits, bringing in over £77 million in qualified costs for businesses just like you. We offer a complimentary, confidential review of your business to see where you're leaving money on the table. Contact us at www.invent.com to book a consultation today. 15 or so full-time employees and associates around the world. But they are instructive, those stories, and we'll bring them out gradually over the forthcoming weeks. Look forward to it. I think we're starting to see one of those early indicators again, Tim. Did you see that note about the architects of stock hiring recently? Yeah, I did. It was a bit of a press release issued by Reba. Mm. That their, I think they called it staffing index has gone into negative territory, first time in a couple of years. Mm. That's, that is a leading indicator, really, for the rest of the industry, because yeah. what happens when architects stop hiring? What does that tell you? It's, it's telling you that they're getting less commissions, the next people to feel the pinch will be consulting engineers because they come in the, the next stage. Dear old cost consultants might yeah. start feeling the heat in London now. But of course, all of this for the construction industry itself is also important because in 18 months' time, those projects which the architects were expecting to start in the last month or two would be coming to site. Yeah. And who, who feels that? Who feels the problems first there? Mm. Demolition guys, the foundation guys, scaffolders. Scaffolders. So yeah. their inquiries will start dropping in sort of six to yeah. nine months' time. And that's how recessions start in the construction sector. And ironically, the volume will stay good probably for the next year or so, because the projects which are already being built, you know, if you're an M&E person or a cladding person who comes in the sort of second half of a particular programme, things can, st can still be going up, yeah. although the industries, the indicators are the industries going into recession. 
But that's one of the peculiar dynamics of construction because the projects are delivered over uh, you know, typically um, 20 to 36 months, that uh, certain sectors can be really in recession where others are still, yeah. mo still moving. Yeah. And that's why it's so important that, that businesses are gearing up for that now because we can put our heads in the sand but it's coming, it's just when and these is a pretty strong indicator now for us, based on our experience, that things are starting to happen and we need to be ready for it. That's right. That's right. So there's there's a little red flag that's yeah. come up. Now, once the Brexit thing is resolved, and the, you know, if Boris sticks to his words, it will be resolved quite quickly. Uh, the uncertainty will reduce, particularly if we stay with a, or we leave with a deal, the uncertainty will reduce very significantly. Uh, and things could very quickly start to boom again because there's obviously been some pent-up demand because people are sitting on their hands waiting to see what happens, quite rightly. Um, if we leave without a deal, who knows? It's unlikely to be good, though. So watching this indicator from the RIBA, uh, that's our hot tip for today. That's a, a thing to bear in mind if you're a, a builder or a civil engineer civil engineering business or building business, uh, watch what's happening to the architects because that's a really important early indicator. Yeah. But on the positive front, did you see that uh, scheme down in Cardiff is off the blocks? Which is quite interesting, you know, that the, the public sector is getting behind modular construction, um, affordable, energy efficient, reduces site, arguably increases quality. So there's a lot to be said for it. It'd be interesting to see how that one pans out. Yeah, it was. I mean, that's, you know, one swallow does not make a summer, mm. but uh, it's a positive news story. So yeah. we've had one negative, one positive this yeah. week. Uh, but that's uh, the the whole modular thing has got a long way to travel. But uh, there's certainly more positive stories than negative at the moment. Yeah, I'll make continue.